of Gilead, and all nations, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argob, with all nations, was called the land of the giants. Jer, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Maacathites, and called Bashan after his own name, Pabrach-Jer, to this day. Also I gave Gilead to Macher, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river as the border, as far as the river Jabbok, the border of the people of Canaan. The plain also, with the Jordan as the border, from Chinnereth as far as the east side of the sea of the of the Arabah, the salt sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor should cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities which I have given you, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I have given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. So you've got the division of the territory that they just conquered. They conquered Sihon and Og, and they give Og's territory to the half-tribe of Manasseh. That was in the northern part of this Transjordanian region. And then to Gad and to Reuben. So that fills out the area they conquered from Sihon and Og. However, those two and a half tribes had requested that they could stay in that territory, and they were allowed to do that on one condition. The condition was that the men go with the nine and a half tribes across the Jordan to conquer the territory of Canaan proper, and then come back and possess that land, which they agreed to do, and so Moses is exhorting them to do that. God wants the people as a united 12 tribes to fight the battles to conquer the land of Canaan. He knows that fragmentation and independence will lead to disaster. This needs to be one nation fighting together to conquer all the land. Then they can go back and occupy those, the territory of Gilead and the two and a half tribes. And he gives them great encouragement. He says in verse 21, You see what God's done with the two kings. He'll do that same thing with the kings in the land of Canaan. So that's the encouragement that he gives. If God can defeat some, why can't he defeat others? When we see the great things God has done in Scripture and in our lives, it gives us confidence that God will continue to do great things. He, he gives the encouragement to Joshua in this. One of the things that you see a lot in Deuteronomy is the idea of Joshua uh, taking over from Moses. Moses began the conquest in this Transjordanian region. Joshua will finish it crossing the Jordan and conquering the land of Canaan. So he wants to give Joshua encouragement not to fear them. God will fight for them. Comments and questions through verse 22. Uh, 23 to 29. Your servant, your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can 
can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. The Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north and the south, and the east. Behold, and bear your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So he stayed in the, in the valley opposite Beth Field. Can you think about Moses' situation? He has seen a lot of victories, a lot of wonders. He has led the people from Egypt through this 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And here at the climax, at the verge of the land itself, he cannot see the actual fulfillment of God's ancient promise. The thing that he's been looking forward to, the thing that they, he's been leading the Israelites toward, now he's not going to be able to see that. He begs the Lord. The frequent mention Moses makes of this disappointment I think shows how profoundly he's hurt by the fact that he's not going to be able to go in. So he begs God to please let him go in and at least set foot in the land. And God says, quit talking to me about it anymore. He had said enough about that. He'd ask often enough. He, did, he apparently did stop asking God to go in. He did not stop reminding the people that he wasn't able to go in. And one of the things that that shows is the far-reaching implications of sin. Moses was a faithful man in general. He did wonderful things. It's hard to say enough good things about Moses, but he sinned at the rock. He did not give the glory to God, which God would have gotten if water had flowed by simply speaking to the rock. Instead, he took matters into his own hands and struck it twice. And God was punishing him for that. There are times when God gives consequences to sins that cannot be reversed. And that's just a part of it. Sin is a, a very serious matter. But Moses, to his credit, does not become resentful and bitter toward the Israelites and toward Joshua. God continues to encourage Joshua to continue to have courage and be faithful to conquer the land. I think that's encouraging to see that. Sometimes we might feel if I don't get to share in this, then I don't want anybody else to either. But Moses is committed to the work of God. He's committed to his people. And he wants Joshua to succeed. And he gives him great encouragement in doing that. Here he's told to do that. And on through this book, we'll see him doing it. Thoughts and comments here on chapter 3. Yes? You know, sometimes we really don't get a benefit out of something that's really important for us to do. In this case, we've got Moses that's encouraging Joshua. Well, Moses is never going to see what Joshua is going to do as a leader. He won't be there to see it. And yet, he's doing it because it's necessary. Because it's important for Joshua to hear. Good point. Yes, I think we see this example with David, too. You know, when he prays for the child's life. And, and you know, there, there's nothing wrong with Moses pleading with God begging for God and we need to do that as well sometimes I think we get lost in our sins and we think oh there's no hope for us but God God is faithful and, and he could have answered a different way and we, we need to entrust our thoughts to God good point yes I don't think this means we shouldn't ask God sometimes he will reverse the consequences of sin but in this case he would not Seth. does it remind you uh, it reminds me a little bit of when God says to, to Abraham stop asking uh, stop giving me numbers, uh, or 
it, it seems like God is willing to answer prayers of faithful people. Sometimes God says, that's enough, stop praying, or, or He might even answer it. Uh, I, I don't know, it seems like there's, there's a connection. Yeah, I'm thinking of Abraham uh, continuing to lower the figure on yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. God seemed to tolerate that quite well. I, I'm not sure why one and not the other, but I do think that God was very displeased with Moses not listening to him in Numbers 19. That may have seemed like a trivial incident to us. I mean, does it really matter? You speak to the rock, beat the rock, whatever. He told him to hit the rock other times. But but God seems to take that very seriously. Uh, he was not following instructions. There may have been some sin also in saying, shall we provide water from this rock? That seems to have been somewhat arrogant. And, and, and in a way for us, you can see why Moses was so provoked. They had tried his patience over and over again. And yet still, God expected him to listen and be faithful. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's important for God to show that he's willing to punish even a Moses when he's not faithful. Do you, do you see the sense in Moses in both of these statements here where he, he is blaming the people? That he really isn't taking any of this blame on himself? I don't know that I think he's not taking blame on himself, but I do think he is blaming people. <laughs> for good or for bad. I mean, I think they have a role in this. Uh, I don't think he's trying to say he wasn't guilty, but uh, I'm not sure exactly how to evaluate those statements. Brad. Knowing the length of time is uh, this chapter from Joshua chapter 1. Well, what does he walk? I mean, he dies and they, they cross over. I don't know the exact time. I don't know if there's an exact statement made in the beginning of Joshua on that. Um, but, but I mean, God says Moses is dead, therefore rise and cross over um, in Joshua chapter 1. There was a time of mourning for Moses, uh, 30 days in uh, Deuteronomy 34, 8. So maybe a month or two. Yeah, I just think it's people that God are preparing Joshua for that task. I mean, Joshua was his assistant. So it was like he knew Joshua was going to be in that role. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you see that throughout Deuteronomy. And God is preparing that and using Moses to prepare Joshua. Yeah, good point. That's a good idea. I mean, it might be uh, parallel to maybe elders working with people to become elders and to... Uh, you know, take responsibility. Sometimes people don't like doing that. You know, we want to uh, be the only one with responsibility, but, but wise leaders want others to lead and help equip them to do that. Okay. Uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. 